But finally, I started seeing results. I you know, was able to transition from finance to education to healthcare for the state's hospital side, then healthcare on the private side on insurance, managing Medicaid health plans. And every single time I was able to get $30,000 salary increases, I can get a job wherever I wanted and it was going to be successful. And I was, you know, handpicked by the CEO for special projects. I always got recognition at work. So I finally, I felt like I cracked code. So I wanted, you know, my friends asked to help and I did. And I started realizing how many more people were out there like me that were in similar situations. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast, formerly known as Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Ferina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus and your host today. I have set up this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program because I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your ambitious leadership careers whilst enjoying your young family in a way that works for you and your loved ones. And one of the reasons I set up Leaders Plus and this podcast is because I'm a little bit grumpy about the fact that today women earn about 15% less here in the UK than men and that figure is largely driven by lots of men in senior roles and fewer women in senior roles. But even when you look at senior roles themselves, actually funnily enough, I shouldn't say funny, it's actually tragic, in the UK the senior roles have the biggest pay gap for full-time roles. So if you are a director, you're more likely to earn less than your male counterparts compared to if you are a junior role. You might hear hear my little baby here. So I wanted to do an introduction to the podcast recording today, but he decided that he wanted to be with me only and not with his nanny. And he also did so during the last podcast recording with Claudia T. Miller. So you might hear him cool a little bit in the background every so often. On cue. So today's podcast guest is Claudia T. Miller. She is a senior executive coach and she is absolutely fantastic. She's an expert about all things pay. Now, let's be clear here, the gender pay gap isn't because women don't negotiate pay, but while there is an injustice in the system, right now we absolutely must, you know, we must be bold in what we're asking for. And Claudia gives some very practical tips about how to get that pay rise that I'm sure you deserve. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I think Claudia is fabulous. She's very, very practical and very inspirational at the same time. Enjoy. So a very warm welcome, Claudia, to the podcast. I am delighted to have you here. When I read about your work, I just thought we were so aligned to each other's vision and I really wanted to get to know you. So why don't we start with you telling me who you are, who's in your family and what you do for work? Thanks, Vanina. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. And of course, of all the topics we're going to be discussing today. So a little bit just quick about me. I am a career coach and career coaches have, we're not all created equal and we all focus on different things. But at the end of the day, I focus on helping career-driven women get the jobs they want at salaries they love. And just to give a little bit of perspective during COVID, my clients have received even up to $100,000 in salary increases and been able to get jobs within 90 days or less. But how I became to be a career coach, I didn't dream about being a career coach. I didn't even know they existed. 
So it's really for personal reasons. And how it all started is because I consider myself ambitious. I got good grades. I had a full ride scholarship by Bill and Melinda Gates. And I you know, did extracurricular activities. I participated. I did internships. I mean, I did everything that you're supposed to do where everyone says you need to do in order to be successful. So of course, when I graduated, I was just waiting for the interviews to roll in. Like they're just going to come firing off at me. And unfortunately, I only had one interview (laughs) and thankfully they offered me the job, but I knew that clearly there was something I was missing. The grades, the extracurricular activities, the internships, they were good, but they weren't the whole entire part of the picture. So there was a picture missing that I just didn't know what it was. So I really went to figure out how is it that I can get better opportunities, get better job offers and everything that related to it, because it's really going to impact my career progression, my acceleration, how fast I can move up and how much money I can make. So I you know, embarked in this journey and it took, I would say, anywhere between three to four years where I heavily invested in working with resume writers, career coaches, workshops, books, trainings, courses. I mean, you name it, I probably already did it or did some aspect of it. But finally, I started seeing results. I you know, was able to transition from finance to education to healthcare for the state's hospital side, then healthcare on the private side on insurance managing Medicaid health plans. And every single time I was able to get $30,000 salary increases, I can get a job wherever I wanted. And it was going to be successful. And I was, you know, handpicked by the CEO for special projects. I always got recognition at work. So I finally, I felt like I cracked code. So I wanted, you know, my friends asked to help and I did. And I started realizing how many more people were out there like me that were in similar situations. I came from humble beginnings where my mom and my dad had sixth grade education. So I'm the first in my family to really graduate from high school. So let alone graduate college. So I needed to navigate this on my own. And through career coaching, now that the work that I do, I want to be able to help other women do the same. They don't have to go through the pain points that I did and spending three to four years doing it. They can get it done within 90 days or less and even get better results than what I did because I've had time to refine and really sharpen the framework where now my clients can get $100,000 salary increases. And that's really how it started. And, you know, I'm able to do so because of it, because now I'm able to help women across various industries and hopefully, you know, potentially even change their livelihoods and be able to empower the household overall. Mm. And you are Latina as well. Is that right? Yes, I'm from Guatemala. So I was born there and then I came to the U.S. and been living in Chicago now for close to 30 years or so. (laughs) Mm. And I think that's particularly impressive what you've done with that background because obviously I live in Europe so I'm not that familiar with the challenges Latina face but I understand that you do have to deal with prejudice every so often and actually being taken seriously and being shown you know being paid what you're worth is even more impressive when you have that extra hurdle of potential stereotypes coming at you I think. Yeah. And it it comes across like, you know, there's always that, at least in the US, women get paid 70 cents on the dollar and actually got up to 80 cents now in the past. This is pre-COVID. But when you even break it down to like Hispanic women, they actually get paid around 56 cents on the dollar, while African-American women get paid 62 cents on the dollar. And what 
across what we all have in common, though, is we're still not getting paid the dollar equivalent or for our, our services or skill sets that we have. And, you know, that's why I look to empower and help women because, you know, not only are we doing the same work, it's not like we're doing half the work and getting paid half. It's no, we're doing the full work and we're still not getting paid our portion. So it's like, how can we go and grab what's ours and what's meant to be ours? Because we should get paid for our expertise at full price. That is just shocking. So per dollar that a man earns in the US, a Latina woman earns 56 cents. That's really, really shocking. And yeah, how important your work. And obviously in the UK, the gender pay gap is 17, 18%, depending on what you look at. But in some industries, is even much higher. But it means, I mean, we are recording this in November. And basically, it means that women from November onwards are working for free compared to men on average. Yeah. And that, that's just a yeah, massive issue. Things. Yeah, it's like, what was the equivalent of like, women have to work 18 months to get paid what men get paid in 12 months. So almost close to two years in order to make that equivalent salary, even though they're doing the same work, have very similar responsibilities, similar backgrounds, but the same work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to hear that because hearing that number, like the, how bad it is in the US compared to the UK, I almost think, oh, okay, so the UK issue isn't that bad, but it's still <laughs> almost 20%. And the fact that we're so used yeah. to it and that that's not even bad anymore is, uh, yeah. yeah, so shocking. So anyways, so I guess what I'm interested in you, the first time that you yourself led a pay yeah. negotiation, can you tell us what that was like? And what you learned yeah. from it. Were you always a good well, pay negotiator? <laughs> well, I didn't even know it was such a thing. But I mean, this is like, if you really want to know my first job, it was at Carson Peary Scott. So it's like a clothing store. And, and I think at the time they were offering like $7.25 an hour. So it was me working the cash register, putting away clothes. And I just said, hey, can we just make that $7.50? And the manager was like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. It's fine. $7.50. And then I didn't think much of it, but as professionally, like when I negotiated my first salary, it was when I went into the hospital setting. So they were looking for someone with a nursing degree and a clinical background. And just FYI for everyone, I don't have a clinical degree or a nursing background. So from the job description, you know, anyone would say I'm not qualified, but I went and networked and talked to people in the hospital setting who worked with, you know, the person in this role. And I started realizing, like, wait, it sounds really interesting. I have at least 30, 40% of the skill sets or can do it. And once I started networking, I started realizing, like, this is something I can definitely do. I'll be, I think I'd be great at it. And, you know, got referred to the job because of the networks that I built. And I, you know, one of the things they asked me, and it's, this is a great tip for any of your listeners out there that are interviewing, you know, I asked, like, hey, do I have your support in moving forward to next steps? Or do you have any hesitations in me fulfilling this job successfully? And they're like, well, yeah, you know, we're really looking for someone with a clinical background, nursing degree, and you don't have it. <laughs> I think you're great. We just don't have the experience. By this time, I already knew this was going to come up. So my kind of response to that was like, no, I, I agree. I don't have a clinical background and I don't have a nursing degree. But based on the conversations we discussed today, you're looking to improve the patient experience. And I can give you that patient perspective because your patients don't have a clinical background or nursing degrees. So I know that if I can't understand it, our patients can't understand it. And I can give you that insight. And, you know, I want to make sure that, and I went into this spiel and they were like, you know what, you're right. 
like, why do we need a clinical background when our patients don't need clinical backgrounds? Like I could be the liaison. I can understand and filter information and put it in layman's terms that anyone can understand. They don't need to have this extra education to know that, you know, their doctor's appointments or when do they need a checkup? So that's how I got the job. And then how I negotiated was, you know, based on, you know, after having conversations, it looks like you're looking to do A, B, and C and what the market is paying. I'm looking for a salary of, I think it was 75,000 at the time. They offered me like 69 or 70. And I was like, well, I'm looking for a salary of 75,000. Is there any way we can close that gap? And they came back. They're like, well, we'll see what we can do. I'll give you a call. And then the next day they're like, yeah, we can make that work. So that was the first time I professionally negotiated my salary. And from then on, you know, then I was able to negotiate. There was one that was a little bit more difficult, not as easy as the first one, but they were like, well, you know, we really can't pay you that much. I'm like, well, you know, just understand that currently at my job, I get this many vacation days. I get this many holidays. I get all these other benefits and I'm, you know, having to leave that for this role. I just want to make sure we take that into account into this compensation or the salary and they're like, yeah, you're right. That is a really good package. I think I had like 30 vacation days or something. So they're like, well, you know what? Let me see what I can do. But I was like, yeah, I'm just looking for, I think at that time I'd have been like, I'm looking for a hundred thousand dollar salary. Is there any way we can close that gap? And honestly, it's very conversational. I mean, you're not fighting or arguing or being a tyrant or commanding or demanding anything. It's just, hey, how can we work together? And she was like, well, you know what? How about we were able to give you this in base. We can give you this in bonus at the end of the year. Would that work? And then we can, I know you have a vacation coming up, so you can take that vacation and it won't impact your PTO days. And I was able to get it. So it's really practicing. Of course, I practiced so much that I got tired of listening to myself. It hadn't been the first time I, I probably would have sounded horrible, but because I have practiced so much, I can be so very conversational And I already had backup plans. If they said no to the salary, I was going to negotiate other benefits. And if they said no to that benefit, I had another benefit. So you want to make sure you prepare. And I always tell my clients, prepare for the expected and the unexpected. So let's set up ourselves for success. And that's exactly what I did and what I teach my clients. So that way, no matter where this conversation goes, I already have a plan and I can control and dictate the situation. I think it's really interesting the way you talk about it. You really don't sound emotive when you say, is there a way that we can close that gap? You don't sound apologetic or you don't sound scared either, which is quite interesting. I think a lot of people will feel apologetic and scared when they need to ask that question. Where does that come from? Have you always felt that way? Or was there a time where you were a bit unsure about asking? Oh, every time. Even I've done it so many times. I still, when it comes to real time, I still get like jitters. I get nervous, but I know it's part of it. Just... I don't know. I'm trying to come up with like an idea, like performing. I used to perform and compete in dancing. So I still get nervous and jittery, even though I've practiced months and I can make the dance routine, you know, in my sleep, you still get nervous and jittery. It's just part of it. And I've, you just get accepted. And, you know, when I still do it, I still get nervous and jittery, but I know what to say that I know that like, it's almost like saying action. Once I'm in that conversation, my subconscious already takes control because I have that nervous and jittery and I've practiced it so much. So you want to make sure that a lot of these conversations, you've already memorized it in your subconscious. And usually how you're able to do that is by doing other things and still practicing. So for example, while I'm washing the dishes, I'll be 
saying the same thing. How can we close that gap? While I'm driving, how can I close that gap? While I'm doing other things. So that way, when I do get nervous or fear, you may come across all of a sudden that side comes out because we've already memorized it to our subconscious that it just takes over you and you haven't even realized it until you're like, I can't believe I just got that salary increase and it went so great. I wasn't even controlling or holding the wheel, but my subconscious was, and they were able to do that. So that just comes from repetition, practicing and understanding my mindset. You know, as you mentioned, I come from a Latina background, Hispanic background. So Every time I tell my mom, hey, mom, I got a new job offer or they're, you know, they're offering me this much. I think I'm going to negotiate. She would always say, well, one, you should be grateful that you have a job and that you're getting a job offer. Two, you should not negotiate because you're going to rock the boat or they're going to think you're greedy or what if they pull the offer back? And this is, I mean, after I've negotiated and helped others negotiate, like no matter, I feel like no matter what I do, my mom is always going to have that mindset. So one, I learned never to tell my mom anymore about negotiation. I don't want her fears projected into me. Two, I've talked and worked with so many people now that negotiate their salary that now to me is if you don't negotiate your salary, it tells me you're not confident and I can't trust you to negotiate in behalf of the company because you're too scared to negotiate for yourself. So if you want to be seen as the leader, be able to feel like they can be responsible to take on more, you need to be able to negotiate your salary because it's just a conversation. It's part of the process. Just like you signing that job offer letter, negotiation should be just part of that process. That is so interesting and fascinating. I think, so with the negotiations then, I think what you're alluding to is that it is a risk, isn't it? And and your mom sounds like she doesn't want you to take that risk. It's a risk in their mind. It's almost like you are your worst enemy type of saying. It's a risk in our mind. But when I put it to practice, I've gotten a salary increase every single time. $30,000 minimum salary increases. And I've gotten the jobs. And I felt like I, you know, knowing even coming in, there was an employee that I realized was in the same role and she was making $50,000 less than I was. Had way more experience, how many more years and more expertise than I did. But the difference is I negotiated. I did my research. I prepared and you know, I know there's many people out there, or maybe you find out that your peer is making more than you. Why is that fair? Like it isn't fair. We're in a system currently that isn't fair, not only for us as women, but also just overall in what they equate to pay. So it is up to us to negotiate in our behalf to get what we should be getting paid. Because I don't like to say so much like, oh, what we're worth, because we're worth more than what our pay is, but we should get paid for our skill set and what the market's willing to pay. And a good analogy I like to use, because I do feel like people are like, well, you know, how much I should know and I shouldn't be greedy and I should just be interested in the skills or the company or experience. Yes, but that doesn't mean you still can't negotiate. So an analogy is if you bought a house for 100000 and the market is willing to pay $300,000 for your home, are you going to say, no, I don't want the 300000 I'll sell it to you for 120 because I bought it for 100,000. So it just seems right that I'm going to sell it to you for 120,000, even though you are writing willing to pay me 300,000. Like that's absurd. I don't hear anyone would really do that. So same thing with your salary. Mm, I love that. And have you got any thoughts about preparation? You just mentioned that that is really important. How would you prepare for salary negotiation, especially if the information isn't on the internet? 
Yes, I love that because you look up online, Google, Glassdoor, I mean, it gives you crazy salary ranges, something like project manager, 45 to 120. It's like, okay, well, where do I fall in? Like, how much can I ask for? So a good way to really do a lot of the preparation. It's always in advance. If you're looking to prepare while you're already interviewing, it potentially may be too late. So I already know that I'm going to be applying to these roles or I'm interested in this role or in this field. So I recommend my clients to go and start networking. If you don't have a network, start building a network. And it's really quick and easy if you do it the right way, but just reaching out. So if I'm interested in a director of operations role, I'm going to reach out to someone that used to be a director of operations, maybe five, 10 years ago. And I'm going to say, Verena, I noticed, you know, I came across your LinkedIn profile that you were director of operations and now you're, you know, executive director of operations or senior director. You know, I was hoping I can speak to you and tap into your expertise and insights and just not only the industry, but the role itself. Are you available to speak? And then asking. So Verena, one thing that I've come across in my research is there's no way to figure out what the salary range is for this role. I was hoping that you can give me some insight, you know, for director of operations with some of my background experience, like what is the salary range that I can expect? And they might tell you something like, well, you know, back in my day, here's how much I got paid. Or they could say, well, you know, it's been so long since I've been director of operations, but I know what I pay my director of operations employees. And the salary is anywhere between 120 to 140. We offer them a 10% bonus at the end of the year. Plus, because we're a public company, we offer them stock and usually it's around 100 or, you know, RSUs. And then you could do the math times whatever the stock price is at that point. So that's the average. People will not tell you what they're currently making, but they're more than happy to tell you what they used to make. So that's why you reach out to people that used to have that role. And you continue talking to multiple people. And all of a sudden, you start closing in on that range. You get to learn a little bit more about what the salary really is for that industry and in that role itself. And I completely agree with you regarding the research around the LinkedIn profile and actually I know a lot of people are a bit scared about it but it is so powerful and you really really I guess if you write to 10 people one or two are going to write back to you and I think if you link it to the idea of the gender pay gap and saying look I just want to do my research and I know women tend to be not paid as well as men can you help me get an accurate figure I think that would be so powerful. You can ask that too, or reach out and network with men in that role because they'll tell you what they're getting paid. So that's another thing. Or they can say something like, well, you know, I know my director of operations, I pay them anywhere between 100 and 120,000, depending on their experience or background. And then you can ask them, well, what makes you offer a candidate $120,000? What skill sets do they have? And if you don't have them and it's something that you can you know, acquire really quickly, go ahead and do it or take a weekend course or a day course on Coursera, LinkedIn, or if you already have that lead with those skill sets, like that will become your market differentiator. We know that having the skill set is going to get you on the higher end of that salary range. So I'm going to lead a lot of my interviews and conversations, highlighting that skill set and connecting the dots on why I'm a good fit that, you know, so I help clients get a hundred thousand dollars salary increases. It's not because they're going in you know, I know you're offering me a hundred thousand, but I'm looking for a hundred, a $200,000 salary increase. How can we close that gap? That's not how it really works. How I'm able to do that big jump is because I position my clients as the top set after candidate from the beginning. They do research and work four to six weeks before they even start interviewing. So we start unveiling and uncovering like, what is a market willing to pay? What is the biggest skill set or the highest desired skill set that's so hard to hire for? 
What are the biggest challenges of that company? How is this company doing in the past 12 months? And what are they looking to achieve in the next fiscal year? Do they have the talent and the skill set? You know, how can start networking and learning more about the company itself and then how processes work? So they're literally almost acquiring their ammo that already when an HR person or that hiring manager comes across that resume, then looks into their LinkedIn profile, everything's so well connected that they're literally drooling over this candidate. Like this is a candidate I'm most excited to interview. Like they just hit every single thing that we know we're looking for. And we've been having struggles or we haven't been able to find that. Why? Because we already did the research beforehand. So now they've created the anticipation. And I'm already put as ahead of all the other candidates because I've done my research and it continues to follow me. And because I've practiced interview and saying the right things and branding and positioning, I keep hitting on those like nails and buttons every single time that at the end, they're going to offer me probably anywhere between 150 to 180. And then I just show my clients how to negotiate that extra 10, 20, 30,000. And then that's how we get the $200,000 salary with a 100K increase. The employer not knowing that previously you were making 90 or $100,000. I think it's very interesting. So often we look at salary based on our past salary and then we think, oh, okay, so I should be paid whatever, 10% or so more and you're actually looking at it from a market perspective yeah just like you would with a house yeah exactly and I know a lot of people are listening here from a charity sector as well and if you are working in that sector can I just urge you also to consider pay because even in the charity sector you have huge huge disparities where males are and actually sometimes the pay gap is bigger in those purpose-driven professions so I think even in those sectors definitely definitely take Claudia's advice um, I read a really thought-provoking book recently um, by Iris Bonnet, Gender Equality by Design, and she argues that there's a lot of research which shows that women are as likely to ask for pay rises, but they are less likely to get them. And do you think that's because, obviously, there's stereotypes and all that, but do you think the way to circumvent this imperfection in the system is to do the preparation or what is the way to get the pay rises approved in your perspective? Yeah, if you're a job, like currently job searching and it's at a new company, new role, definitely you know, network and figure out what is the true salary range and try to stick within 10,000 range. Nothing like, oh, I'll take anything between 50 and 100. So instead you want to say like, oh, I'm looking for a salary between 50 and 60,000. So I want to say what the 10 can reach and do that research, practicing it. You know, I feel like as women, we have these tendencies to be apologetic or sometimes when we talk, it sounds like we're asking a question and, you know, all these things that come across that just stack up against each other. That's why, you know, when I say practice, I don't mean just practicing while, you know, you're washing dishes and doing all these things or whatever you're doing around the house. I mean, or whatever. I just want you to do it while you're doing something else. And, you know, I also have my clients record themselves on video and audio. And then just separate them. So if it's a Zoom, let's just say you record yourself through Zoom having these conversations, just mute it and just look at your body language. How is it coming across? Are you slouching? Are you nervous? Are you jittery? Are you like, playing with your hair? Are you looking up and down? People have different like nervous texts. I tend to look like around and it's like I'm looking up to find the answers in the sky and there's none. That's what happens when I don't prepare. So I already know that. So I need to be very cognizant of that. When you're listening just to audio, how do you sound? Do you actually pause or do you try to fill in those that silence, which we tend to do sometimes? 
You really just want to stay quiet, let them think and let them respond back. You should not be interjecting or adding anything additional. You know, how can we close this gap and just stay quiet? So practicing that and, you know, my conviction and how I'm coming across also a lot gets lost in technology. So the way that I'm talking in the podcast right now, it's not necessarily how I talk in person because it's very amplified, you know, that's because I don't want to bore your listeners and sound very monotone. And we used to hear in college and a lot of these professors were so boring and a lot of us fell asleep. I don't want to do that. I need to be energetic. I need to project. You also need to come across that through the telephone or if it's you're more than likely to be either through Zoom or a phone call. So you want to make sure that you come across as confident just in your tonation, the conviction. You don't want to sound like you're asking a question, even though it's a statement. Remove words like I think and I like or like I believe. It's like I looked at the market research and based on the conversations we had, I'm really looking for a salary of 120000 Is there any way we can close that gap? So there's a lot of these filler things that are removed, which men tend to have less of, not all of them, depending on their upbringing, but they tend to have less of. So really being cognizant of that and how, like I said, we try to almost like be forgiving, like, oh, can I please talk to you? Or is is this a good time? Or instead of saying, hey, I wanted to talk to you about so-and-so, which men tend to do, like they have different mannerisms. So really understanding that and asking, like I said, as women sometimes, and if you're like, depending on cultures too, we're just told to just be grateful for the job. You know, there's a pandemic happening and, you know, and there's so many people that are lining up to get that job, but, you know, there might be people lining up for the job, but you are the best candidate for this role because we already know exactly what they're looking for. And I'm not saying you have to be the expert or the best or role renowned, it's more of like, are you able to articulate the message better than your competition? That's really what it is during the interview process. Mm, absolutely. You're inspiring me to do something which I haven't prepared for or planned. How about if I ask you for a pay rise and you give me feedback? And if it's yeah, really bad, we'll edit it out yeah. at the end. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to. <laughs> okay. So, hello, Claudia. Do you have a moment? I would like to talk to you about pay. Yes, of course, Verena. What's going on? Well, at the moment, I'm paid 60000 but I think the business is doing a lot of work right now on marketing growth, and I have made a massive contribution to that, and I would like to be paid 75000 Can we talk about closing that gap? Yes. The only thing I would do differently, Verena, is lead with value. And then talk about conversation. So when I said the script is more for job searching, you I'm already the assumption that you already showed your value during the interview. So if it's for a current role, how I would say that definitely is, you know, hi, Verena, I, you know, wanted to, and I'm excited for my year in review. I know we're scheduled to speak, you know, the first week of December. I just wanted to let you know, I did want to discuss compensation adjustment and just wanted to let you know, and I look forward to our conversation during December 2nd meeting. You kind of want to prepare them in advance so that way they can start, you know, figuring out like, you know, talking to HR or whatever channels they need to go through, let them figure it out. And then I would say, well, Verena, you know, I was looking at the past 12 months and, you know, in the time being, you know, as marketing manager, I was able to grow our Instagram following from 1,000 to now 10,000. And of those 10,000, at least 30 to 40% were ever to convert into customers, which has created a pipeline of close to 
$500,000 that we didn't have before. And it's helped us even implement and penetrate a new customer segmentation that we've never had access to. And now they're our bread and butter at this point, especially for this lower line of business that we just launched. And not only that, I've been you know working along with sales department and we've been able to create some marketing assets that's going to help us create and bring in better qualified leads so that way, you know, not only does it improve the sales process overall, but we have in our targeting better candidates and customers. And that way we can, you know, save within resources and be more strategic around it. That's really improved the whole overall framework. And because of that, we've seen an increase of 15% of sales within this product. We've increased 20% in this product. And then this new product we just launched, it's helped us go from zero all the way to $500,000. Because of it, you know, I've been doing some research in the market and, you know, based on everything that I did and the work that I've been doing the past 12 months and the acquired skill sets. And not only that, originally when I started, it was more of just managing Instagram account and Facebook, but now it's just grown into really creating strategic frameworks and strategies and working alongside our partners, such as sales and technology and IT and product development. Overall, the position has really evolved. And with that, you know, there should be a compensation adjustment. Based on the research that I did, the market is stating around $75,000 salary. Is there any way we can close that gap? I would give you a pay rise, Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why it doesn't work so well the other way is because as soon as you tell them, I'm looking for salary adjustment, of, if you start with that, then they're going to start immediately thinking of like, well, you know, they're going to start thinking of reasons of why they shouldn't. Instead, we want to leave with value. Hey, Have you noticed I did this? Oh, did I? That's why I said, like, a lot of us don't even remember what we did two, three months ago. I honestly don't even know what I did last week. I probably have to look at my calendar and emails. So keep track of everything that you've done. So that way, this conversation can come easily to you. You don't have to go and, you know, dive into like all your slew of emails and calendars. So that process makes it easier. Lead with value, then almost make it like a no brainer. Oh yeah. You did bring in like 500,000 and overall as a pipeline or in sales, you helped us generate over $3 million for the company. I'm only asking for some, you know, I'm looking for Saturday 75,000. Is there any way to close that gap? All of a sudden 3 million, you brought 3 million and you're only asking for 75,000. It's like, okay, now they might still have to go through proper channels depending on the company, but it's an easier conversation because again, we're leading with value. They're getting to see what you've been able to provide. And then it just leads to the discussion of like, hey, I'm just looking to get this small portion of this big pie that I just brought in. And it makes that conversation easier. Now, if they tell you, you know what, because of budgeting and everything, one thing I would say, well, how is salary determined for this role? Because I know that you're not going to say this, but not everyone's making the same amount of money. How is salary determined? And you know, how can I be in the higher end of that salary? Or what is the salary range for this role? How is salary determined? And how can I move up to the salary range? And then having those candid conversations. And they're like, I don't know. It's just that that's what you were offered. Okay, well, then let's discuss promotions or change of title since my responsibilities have evolved since I originally started here. And not all the time, but there's going to be times where you're going to work with an employer that's just, you know, you should pay your dues. You should be lucky you have a job. One of my old managers told me, that I should pay my dues and that he used to be in the same role for 10 years until he got promoted and I should do the same. And that's when I very nicely said, no, thanks. I really appreciate it. But in my mind, one, I'm not going to leave my career to somebody else's chance or wait for somebody to get promoted or retire or God forbid, leave the company. And two, 
I'm not going to be able to change. I can't change people, but I can't change my manager. So I went and found another job, got a $30,000 salary increase and with like bonus and everything. But I had to make that decision. I didn't stay in my job and complained and how much I hated my boss or how unfair it is. I just realized that's a situation. So I'm going to remove myself from the situation and go into a better situation for myself. Mm, agree. And would you ever threaten? I, I mean, even as I'm saying this, I think it's a bad idea. But would you ever say, look, I've been offered a job that pays £20,000 more elsewhere. Are you going to increase my salary or not? Is that something that you would say? It depends. There's a reason why you were looking outside. So if it's because you have a bad manager, I would just leave because that bad man, I don't want to stay. I don't want a person to stay in the same situation for, you know, potentially having the same amount. So it really depends on why you're leaving this role, why you're applying to new jobs. So again, if it's because you have bad, it's toxic, no one's trying to promote you, you dislike it, you hate working there, don't even negotiate, just go and find another job. So in that same scenario, when I did get a job offer, all of a sudden my boss was told me, well, is there anything we can do to keep you? We can give you a change in title if you want. We can actually give you more. We won't be able to match it, but we, I can give you maybe 10, 15K more. I'm like, where was this when I asked you? So at this point, I already know, like it's already knowing the framework. Okay, even if I were to stay and get 10, 15,000, I know it's always going to be a battle for me to get promoted because I understand his mindset. His mindset is stay at your job until the person above you gets promoted and then I can promote you. So it's almost like I'm waiting in line and my career is dictated by the person above me. And whenever they decide to move, what if they they just want to stay in that role and never get promoted? Maybe they don't want to be managing people. I didn't want that to be the scenario for my career. So even if they offered me or met my salary, I would have said respectfully, thank you, but I'm looking you know, for new opportunities. And that's why I'm you know, moving to this role to really sharpen and acquire new skill sets. But again, that's a choice you have to make, but I would kind of be cautious of that. Just because there's, like I said, there's a reason why you had to look elsewhere and you couldn't get internally. Mm. I've got a bit of an issue with the fact that part-time roles generally are paid less. And in the UK, part-time roles are a big driver of the gender pay gap. So a lot of women work part-time, they get paid less in part-time roles, hence there being a pay gap. What's your view about having to take a lower pay because you're offered the in quotation mark benefit? On part-time? It really depends. So what I mean by that is I consider part-time to almost be depending what value are you bringing. So let's just say if you're in sales, part-time, just because you're working part-time, but you're still bringing $3 million in sales a year, while the full-time person is bringing $3.5 million sales, I will base my compensation of what I'm bringing in value to the company, not how much hours I'm working. Because what if I can deliver you the same results as a full-time person but I can, I can do it in half the time. I should be paid on the value, not how fast I can do it. The reason I can do it this fast or this quickly is because of my years of experience and my expertise and everything that I've invested in order to get to this point. It's almost like saying having the best heart surgeon can do a heart surgery for me in like 10 minutes, as opposed to this new doctor that just graduated and takes him five hours. I'm not going to pay the new five that can do it in five minutes, you know, 50% because he's taking less time than, no, it's actually the opposite, the expertise. I want the best renowned heart surgeon that maybe they can do it in five minutes, but they have a high survival rate 
and they're able to do this fast because of the years of experience. They're going to get paid more than the heart surgeon that just barely graduated, has very little experience and can take three to five hours to do the same procedure. That's how you want to start with your mindset to talk about and how you're able to uncover that is during the interview, ask questions. You know, why is this job part-time and not full-time? What Can you tell me what is the hardest skill to hire for, for this role? What is your objective? What have been some of your challenges? How is this aligning with the company's goal to uh, you know meet their end of fiscal year goals? Getting this information and, you know, sometimes they don't even know all the work that's required. They'll say, oh, yeah, we just need you to do this. But you as an expert, you're like, well, it's actually more than that. I need A, B, C, D, E, F, and G before I even get to the Z that you're looking for. So open that wound. Let them know how big of a deal it is. And then lastly, I would say be respectful of your boundaries. Yeah, it is part-time. They're paying you part-time, but sometimes that increases to all. All of a sudden, you're working 35 hours, but you're still getting paid part-time as if you were working part-time. So really having boundaries around scope. It sounds like you're looking for me to do A, B, and C within that deadline. That's actually going to take a lot more than the hours that I'm allocated for, which is you know 20 hours a week. This is going to take around 40 hours or 35 hours if you want to get completed in the next three weeks. You know, If you're not able to work those hours, pull back on the scope or extend that deadline, or you're going to need help, somebody help you. And if you're able to, you know, how about we, you know, talk, discuss compensation in order to match the needs that you're looking for based on the work, because this will take this amount of time and blah, 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 and have those conversations. But again, there's so many situations out there, but really understand and pull yourself back and then say, what is it that I'm trying to achieve? What do I want? And what's going to happen if they say yes? What am I going to do if they say no? And what if what is the in-between as well? And then you make that decision once any of those outcomes happen. Mm, absolutely. And this is all very, very thought-provoking. Um, we had a fellow in one of the previous cohorts. So I don't know if I told you this. We run a fellowship program, which is over nine months. And the, we obviously have leaders with babies and young children on it. And the purpose is to support their career progression and one of our fellows actually asked for a pay rise while on maternity leave and also got it and she said she wouldn't have asked for it if she hadn't had the courage and the support of the other women and men Mm -hmm. on the program so I think there's something about just asking otherwise you don't get and that's not saying that the fact that there's a gender pay gap that that is women's fault it really isn't and there's a real structural injustice but unless we ask and unless we are bold and do that preparation and do whatever we can as individuals to overcome the structural barrier we're not going to be able to change it unless we do that in the short term and I think our individual efforts have to be supported by the wider structural change um, in that system um, I can see we've been talking for a really long time because I'm just so fascinated by, by what you've been saying and I've learned a lot. Um, would you like to leave us with three practical things or two to three practical things someone who is considering asking for a pay rise could do today? Yeah. If you're wondering, am I in a position to negotiate my salary? The answer is yes. If you're employed, yes. If you're interviewing for that job, Yes. You get the job offer, yes. So no matter, even if you're an intern, I've had interns negotiate their salaries. First time, you know, employees where this is their first professional job, they've negotiated their salaries. So yes, you should always negotiate. Yes, you're in a position to negotiate. 
now the question is, you know, practicing and setting yourself up for success. If you talk to someone about negotiating your salary and like my mom, they're like, no, no, don't do that. Or they're going to be very negative. Now, you know, moving forward, you never discuss anything salary negotiation related with them. You can discuss everything else, but don't ever bring that conversation to them. Just like you said, because of the great network and community they had within your program, they felt the courage. The opposite thing could happen. If you have so many people say, no, don't do that. Oh my God. All of a sudden you're going to, out of fear, you're not going to do it. And then, so we already know that's going to be the situation. Don't talk to anyone. Like now moving forward, I will never talk to my mom about our negotiation. And then third is preparing for the expected and the unexpected. We tend to do this a lot, even in interviews. We don't prepare for the, tell me about yourself. We just figured, hey, I'm just going to wing it. Or I'll just know what to say once I'm at the interview. No, you're not. Prepare. We already know these questions are coming up. So let's take control of that interview, how we brand ourselves, how do we portray, what stories we tell. So for the sound negotiation aspect, practice saying it. Like I said, video, audio, practice with your pet, practice with your partner, practice with a friend that is going to be positive and encouraging you to do this. So really prepare for that. And you're going to see a lot of success. I use this in my business as well. And another quick thing is like, I always say like, do what others want to achieve what others can't. What are most people doing? And how can I do it better? Same thing with sound negotiation. One, people are not doing it. Just you negotiating, you're already doing better than most people. I've worked with executives that are in sales, VP of sales, and they've never even negotiated their salary. So, you know, it's not like something we all know. Nobody's really born being, like I said, a negotiator. I've been really good at it because of years of trial and error and many failures. And I finally realized what works, what doesn't work. How do I get triggered with my nervousness? How to react when I'm fearful? So I've known this through experience. It's an acquired skill set. It's something that can be trained and learned. It's not something innate. It's not something we're really born with. So know that going in and just start preparing for it. And just know that it's just part of the process. Just like you setting a job offer, it's part of the process. And most employers out there are expecting you to negotiate your salary. So one thing I have on the podcast, which my podcast is Roadmap to the Executive Suite, which is aimed for women that may or potentially are thinking of moving to the executive suite. It's really talking about the misconceptions that are, you know, women in leadership roles. Oh, you won't have time for family. I'm going to work to the bone. My family's going to hate me because they'll never see me around. From the women that I have on the podcast, that's rarely the situation. They have a good work-life balance or as most of some of us can have, and they really enjoy the work and they don't, they dictate when they work but they provide the value and really having a good understanding of that. So overall, like those were my recommendations around salary negotiation. And like I said, really setting you up for success. And uh, one of the things I was going to say is one of the women in the show said, well, I usually never offer the end of the salary range because I expect them to negotiate. And if they negotiate, I'm still within budget, but rarely do people negotiate. So they'd leave money on the table and I was ready to give it to them. They just had to ask. Because they also, you know, you got to remember hiring managers also don't probably don't even know how to negotiate themselves. So having that conversation and then if you're coming off as confident and make a good business case, they're going to say, yeah, you're right. Like, (laughs) I don't want to leave you and I don't want to have to have to hire someone and replace you and then have them getting up to speed into the world. Like it's a hassle hiring someone new. So know that 
the ball's in your court and just set yourself up for success. Excellent advice. I could keep talking to you for another hour without a problem. And I'm sure your listeners would love to find out more about you. Why don't you tell us where they can find out more about you and your work? Yes. Yeah, so my website is ClaudiaTMiller.com. So T is in Tom, ClaudiaTMiller.com. And there you can you know, find my podcast. You'll find other podcasts that I've been on, including this one and other resources. And I'm going to be uploading my top star negotiation scripts that you can download for free that I've been able to get my clients, you know, anywhere between five all the way to $30,000 in salary increases. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Claudia. Thanks for having me, Verena. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope you got as much practical insight from this conversation with Claudia as I did. And if it has been helpful to you in any way, and you can think of that one friend who really could do with a pay rise and who you would like to be supported to have the conversations he or she needs to have, please share it with that person right now as an act of kindness. And you might have heard me mention the fellowship. So if you are looking for a program to join, uh, this is a world-class career development program bringing together parents who are ambitious in their careers both online and we also have a blended learning version so as in face-to-face mixed with online we will start again in spring at the moment applications are closed but you can get your name down early so you'll be the first name to know by going to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest our next fellowship program is starting in april and it's really exciting community of like-minded ambitious individuals who want to support each other to progress their careers Until next time, have a wonderful week.